0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Doable Discipleship, the show designed to deepen your faith in God. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Robinson, and today I'm joined by uh,
1: your other host, Jason Wheeland. And I want to say, the show that helps you grow.
0: The show that helps you grow. Exactly. So. Hey, we're back again. If you listened to us last week, we had an incredible conversation with Pastor Tom uh, from our Foundations Q&A Zoom on the topic of the Bible. So today we're back with that same format, but we're gonna be tackling the topic of God, right? Really big topic. So I really think you are gonna enjoy Enjoy this conversation. Pastor Tom has just a wealth of wisdom and understanding and study that he is giving to us. So he's gonna be going through questions that I know sit with us and that we've all thought about. So gear up for this episode and excited to get into it. Welcome to Foundations. The Q&A with Pastor Tom last week, or not last week, two weeks ago, we had a great night. A lot of great questions, learned a lot about the Bible, and I I hope and I pray that that was a great time for you as all, for for you guys as well. I'm seeing some familiar faces, so that's great. just a quick thing up top, we are recording this, and we're recording it for the purposes of we're going to put it on our Doable Discipleship podcast. So the cool thing is the questions that you guys are asking here um, has really has broad reach and is going to go to a lot more people in and in a bigger audience who's going to be able to be uh, benefited, benefited and blessed by uh, your questions. So... Also, a note about questions. As we're going through, I know you guys have already submitted questions through Thinkific, but if you have a question off the top of your head and you something's brewing inside, go ahead and write it in the chat um, mm-hmm. because we'll be monitoring that chat to make sure uh, we get to some really good questions. Also, in the chat, um, for the sake of clarity for us, if you uh, could keep the chat for for questions only. Um, that way it'll be easier for us to go through and find, um, questions for us to respond to and answer. Uh, Mm -hmm. so just a note on that as well. So I want to pray for us and then we'll jump into the night and get started. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Awesome. Jesus, thank you for, uh, this group of people that you brought here. We, we do not believe that this is a coincidence. Um, this is a special time God we thank you that we can ask questions that uh, we don't have to be intimidated by questions um, that asking questions doesn't uh, doesn't signify a lack of faith but actually um, shows our desire to learn more. And we think that that is honorable and um, and blesses you, God. So we thank you for these questions. Lord, we pray that you would uh, open our minds, that you would open our hearts to receive your truth today. God, we pray that you'd be with Pastor Tom as he engages and answers hard questions. Um, And Lord, we pray that you would just your hand of blessing and favor would be over this night uh, as we spend time together as a church body, really all across the world, um, and learn more about you tonight, God. So I pray um, that this would be a beneficial night, that it would encourage us, that it would challenge us, that it would inspire us, God, and we would step away knowing uh, more about you and having grown deeper in our relationship with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, my name is Brandon Robinson. I am uh, on the spiritual growth team here at Saddleback. We also have Linda Tokar. Um, She is a foundations whiz. She has been serving in foundations for 18 plus years. Um, So she's going to be moderating for us tonight. She's going to be throwing out the questions. um, And she may be answering a question here and there tonight. We'll see. We don't know. Um, But she has a wealth of knowledge and is a great resource uh, for our church family. And also, obviously, Pastor Tom, who's going to be... who's. Uh, pioneered this foundation's content and has packaged it all for us. So he's going to be answering questions for us tonight. With that, Linda, I'll I'll pass it over to you and you can get us started with our first question.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Hi, everybody. So good to be with you all. Tom, we have some fun questions. Um, So here's the first one that came in on Thinkific. And it says, some say I like the New Testament God better than the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God is wrathful and kills people and the New Testament God talks about loving your neighbor. How do we answer that?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Told you it was a good one. You know, Brandon and I actually were talking about this just earlier today on something different. So let me start there. It's a big place to start, I'll admit. But let me start there and then get a little more specific. God is uh, greater than time. It's not like, and God's eternal. He, he always exists as who he is. So it's not like there's one kind of God in the Old Testament, another kind of God in the New Testament. He always is who he is. And uh, to say that somehow God changed, you know, he made a decision, you know, oh, I, I think I'll be a different kind of God today at some point. Uh, he always intended to send Jesus. He always intended to, to rescue the world. And so uh, when people read in the Old Testament, they read about what life was like without Jesus. And that's about all it is. It looks forward to the promise, but of course it's horrible to look at. And when you read the New Testament, you read the promise that's come in Jesus. But the whole Old Testament is looking forward to that promise. Uh, So if you just look at this war that happened or this thing that happened, you're uh, you're missing the point. I think it's a really good point about who God is, and if you look at the Old Testament, Jesus taught us to call God our Father, but if you look at the Old Testament, you see again and again and again that He talks to His people Israel as a Father. He talks about how they have abandoned Him, and how He is grieved over what has happened. So, the love of the Father is there all through the Bible. Mm -hmm. So, I think if you're talking to somebody, that's an answer for us. I think if you're talking to somebody uh, about uh, how to understand this, who's trying to come to grips with it, uh, that maybe is a friend that doesn't yet know Christ. I just tell them the truth about your life. I, I, I give them a testimonial, uh, something like, well, you know, I used to feel that way. But then I, I started to study Jesus more and who he is and it sort of put things in perspective. So maybe start there. Let me encourage you to start there because that's where the hope is and that's where the peace is. And Jesus is the one who taught us to call God our Father and Jesus is the one who taught us that God is filled with grace and gave us God's grace. So I think instead of getting involved in arguments about the Old Testament God, uh, which I found rarely lead anywhere. I think yeah. if you can at all point them to the New Testament God, Jesus, it's going to really, it's good. That's where the difference is going to come in.
2: That's great, Pastor Tom. Thank you, thank you. Um, here's another one.
3: It says, "Are there?" You guys, though, before oh. Linda asks this next one, last time. She sent me the questions in advance, you know, so I could think about them and stuff. And this time, she may have tried to do that, but I've been so busy that I'm just hearing these. So that's the fun of this tonight, is, uh, you know, it's all, we're we're just doing this off the cuff.
2: (laughs) So, okay, so here's another one. Are there differences between the God we worship in Christianity and the Gods worshipped by those who practice Judaism, Judaism Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, etc.?
3: Well, yes. Uh, that's a study of comparative religions, it's a huge study. And just because somebody calls something God, it's not God. Uh, first, you have the God, the God with a little G idol gods of the Old Testament. So let's start there. There's, there's a difference between the little gods, the little g gods of the Old Testament, uh, which were actual stone statues that were supposed to give you fertility or supposed to make sure that your crops came in or that the seasons treated you right. So that was that was part of Old Testament worship. And they have names like Baal. And so you see these names of Old Testament gods again and again and again. And they, they actually thought of them as like city gods or country gods or family gods. They're just gonna take care of me. So from the very beginning, there have been these false gods that have been out there. Uh, In our day, we can look at it, we can see that all whole religions have grown sometimes out of the worship of these false gods. And some of the false gods, uh, many of them come from a person. So a person is elevated to the point where whatever they say is what God says. They may not call themselves God, but whatever they say is what God said. So Buddha, they may or may not, depending on who you're talking to in Buddhism, say Buddha is a God, but whatever Buddha says is what God says. Well, that equates them with God with me, just like whatever that little G God said is what God wanted in your life. And so Buddhism is a false God, uh, and it's not the same God that we worship. And that's true of many, many, many world religions, Eastern religions. But the the question also asked about, what about uh, Judaism and Catholicism? Uh, When you look at the Old Testament and the God of the Jews, that is the God through which the Messiah came. Now, the Jewish people may or may not, depending on who you talk to, uh, there are many Jewish people who've accepted Jesus as their Messiah today, Uh, may or may not accept Jesus as their Messiah. But... They're worshiping the same God that we worship. They're just not understanding that that same God is doing things in our lives today that are different. Well, guess what? That could be true of somebody that grew up in the same church as you're growing up in. That could be true of somebody at Saddleback. Somebody could grow up at Saddleback and never come to know Christ. They hear about the Messiah. Really, the reason they come to Saddleback is they want their business to succeed. Let's just be honest. That's the reason they come. They're nice and they're And, you know, they talk about the same God that we, but they're not worshiping the same God that we do. They just believe in, in terms of knowledge, the same God that we believe in. So whether Jewish or even at Saddleback at our own church, that can be true. Same thing is true of Catholicism. Uh, Catholicism, Catholics are worshiping the same God that we do. They believe that Jesus is God. They believe in the Trinity. So they believe in the same foundational doctrines that we believe in. There are some church history doctrines that have been added to that uh, that result in things like um, needing needing to give confession so that you can take the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is something that, that imparts God's grace to you, that you need it to have God's grace imparted into your life. And those have been added down through the years through Catholicism. But when it comes to the God that's being worshiped, Catholics and Jews and Christians are all worshiping the same God, Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus worshiping different gods. That's a very quick answer for something that could be like a 20-week study of uh, comparative religions.
2: Yeah. Some of these are just like tip of the iceberg questions, you know?
3: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know whoever answered that one. If you have like a follow-up, because it's hard, it's so broad. I want to make sure I get to whatever you were thinking about. So if somebody wants to raise their hand and give a follow-up to that, that'd be great.
2: We will watch for that. Um, Here's one that just came in on the chat. It says, we believe that each of the persons of God is of the same essence and is not inferior or superior to others in essence. How does this apply when Jesus prayed to the Father, which indicates the Father's superiority?
3: So Trinity questions. Yeah. Man, I didn't know we we're gonna have Trinity questions tonight, Linda. I thought you promised me no, no Trinity questions. Those are hard questions. <laughs> uh, Jesus recognized in humility the superior the superiority of the Father. He humbled himself. Mm-hmm and became obedient. Philippians uh, chapter two says he humbled himself and became a man. He humbled himself. He was not humbled by the father. If Jesus had been humbled by the father, the father would be superior. He humbled himself and he became a man. He was born as a man. And then later in Philippians two, it says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. (laughs) So Jesus chose while he was on this earth to recognize the superiority of the Father, but does that that does not mean that he was inferior to the Father. He just chose to recognize it for our sake. He chose to recognize it for the sake of what was he was going to do on the cross and all that meant and the obedience that he was sharing. With that, mm-hmm. the cross for Jesus is an act of obedience. It's not an order that he had to follow it was an obedience, it was a sacrifice, it was a service that he gave, and in order for it to be an act of obedience, he had to recognize the superiority uh, of the Father while he was on this earth, and so the idea that that, just because you say you are uh, recognizing of somebody's position means that they are superior, I think we all know that's not true, um, let me, let, me try to, let me try to find an illustration that's not too filled with political landmines, which is really hard today. But, uh, you know, if you walked, uh, in, 10 years from now, if you walked into uh, a, a, a mayor's uh, conference and uh, that mayor happened to be your son, you know, they'd been elected, uh, you as a mom or a dad, you would in certain ways be superior to that mayor But when you walked in, you would still show them deference, you might still have to go through uh, all of the checks that everybody else went through, and depending on whether you were with them or not when you came in, you would still do some things that recognized who they were. And that's what Jesus did. He recognized who God was as he prayed to him in that way. He willingly chose, he submitted himself, willingly. And maybe that's the most important word, is submission. He willingly submitted himself to the will of the Father while he was on this earth. The humility for Jesus to do that is beyond our comprehension.
2: I've always appreciated how you point out he limited himself willingly, but he did not lessen himself. Right. Um,
3: That's good. I like that, Linda. That's really good.
2: (laughs) Hey, a friend of mine wrote that. (laughs) He's really smart.
3: And that limiting so, of himself was a sign of his submission as well
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so here's another one on the Trinity, as long as we're here.
3: How do yeah, I thought we... there might be a few questions on the Trinity tonight. Hey, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs>
2: This is a good one. How do we pray in light of the Trinity? Or better, who do we pray to? I, for one, always pray to the Father because I know Him better. However, I don't know what to do with Jesus and the Spirit. It's so awkward. I don't feel as though I know who I'm talking to.
3: (laughs) Well, you have examples in the Bible of prayers to the Father, you have examples of prayers to the Spirit, and you have examples of prayers to Jesus. So, if you want to pray our father and then uh, i pray that you'd be with me today and then say and jesus i hope that you'll strengthen me and then at the end uh, and then say and holy spirit i hope that you'll give me this and then at the end say in jesus name amen if you want to include all of them in one prayer it's okay because they're all god Uh, a lot of times people feel like and i think we were brought up this way a lot of us that there's like these um these slots you have to fill in with prayer in order to make it work you got to pray to the Father, to the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus. And if you get all those in order, then the prayer will be answered. Well, it's all God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm-hmm. So if you say Father God, if you say Jesus when you pray, if you say uh, Lord when you pray, it, you're all you're praying to the same person, exactly the same person. So I, we get too caught up in the forms of prayer sometimes when you all know prayer is a relationship. And we have a relationship with the Trinity. So feel okay about praying to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's an okay thing to do. A lot of you are shaking your head like, awesome. That gives me some new freedom, which I love that. That's, that's really great. <laughs>
2: okay, here's another one from the chat. Um, Alex asked a question. He's joining us from England right now. So he's, it's three o'clock in the morning
3: for him. So. Alex, you are a brave man. Wow.
2: <laughs> so we a woman appreciate I you. didn't
3: see. You. It could be a man or a woman. I don't know. You got to let me know. Hello, I everyone.
2: Can't... Hello. There's Alex.
3: Hi, Alex. Thanks for being with us. Cheers, Alex. <laughs> Lovely to see you all. Um, and just hearing your accent makes us feel more godly. I don't know. There's just something about it. <laughs>
2: One of his questions that he posted is really good. It's about if God, if God's word can contradict itself. It says, if the New Testament is the word of God, like the Old Testament, we know Jesus Christ repeatedly approved of how do we allow for contradictions, such as in Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians about women being allowed public prophesying but not speaking. And then he quotes 1 Corinthians 5.11 in the Good News Translation. And any woman who prays or proclaims God's message in public worship with nothing on her head disgraces her husband. There's no difference between her and a woman whose head has been shaved. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 14.34, the woman should keep quiet in the meetings. They must not be allowed to speak as the Jewish law says they must not be in charge.
3: So he's concerned so, about- No, that's good. And I I, I love to study the the seeming contradictions in the Bible. It's very helpful uh, many times. And when you study contradictions in the Bible or what people say are contradictions, um, there's several things to keep in mind. Uh, One of them is uh, words become extremely important sometimes with those contradictions. Um, There's a seeming contradiction in uh, when Paul uh, met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And uh, sometimes when you read books of contradictions, they'll say that some places it says that he heard Jesus and other places it says he didn't hear Jesus or didn't understand Jesus. Well, the Greek word that's used for heard when it talks about Paul means heard without understanding. And uh, oftentimes it's translated correctly and sometimes it's not. So sometimes digging a little bit deeper helps you to understand the contradiction into the words. But probably more often than that, when you talk about contradictions, uh digging into understanding the times helps you to do that. And mm-hmm. you and I, when we think of church, we think of the way that we go to church, but that's not the way they went to church. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of noise in the New Testament church. The Jewish synagogue out of which the church uh, came, there was often a lot of noise. And, uh, you know, Alex, I guess it might be the difference between, <laughs> you know, uh, our Congress and what happens as people are sitting there and one person stands up and talks at a time and your legislature in England if i if i if i understand some of the news stories i see everybody sometimes is talking at once and you have to quiet everybody down so that's more what the new testament church was like where everybody was talking at once so the women talking in church or the men sometimes they were talking over other people talking they were talking over other people prophesying which was not a good thing to do, and sometimes even those who were prophesying started talking when somebody else was prophesying, which which is why it says uh, in 1 Corinthians that the spirit of the prophets have to be subject to the prophets, that if somebody else is speaking, you let them finish, and then you can speak, so uh, my understanding of the New Testament culture is in one place it was talking about the preacher, what we would call the preacher, and another place is talking about the audience and somebody speaking up out of the audience and interrupting the whole congregation. Now, that's just a couple of examples of uh, seeming contradictions. It's a really interesting study. You can get books on it even and, and uh, begin to read through because some of those contradictions are all of the contradictions that I've studied and I've studied all of them. Uh, you find there's pretty good solid answers mm-hmm. for uh, what people feel are contradictions. And I, Linda, I don't have a, my, my favorite book, I don't have it in mind right now, but maybe I'll try to get it to you and then you can send it out to everybody as a, as a resource.
2: Okay, that'd be terrific. That'd be terrific. Um, there's one in the chat from Kiku Christian and I don't know if Kiku, if you wanna ask your question, Brandon, can we find Kiku? Yes. Oh he sorry i'm you? yes here we go um yeah, I like to know about the uh, most um um pastor Tom say muslim um it's um the muslim god's perspective and no, no not not that sorry i am nervous um that's okay mo- yeah most um don't believe same on um, one god it's like that's maybe um pastor so- mentioned. So does the Muslim, do we believe in the same God as the Muslim God? Is the Muslim God the same God? Is that your question? (laughs) Yes. Okay.
3: When you talk about uh, Muslims and Christians, here's, here's a good way to think about it and explain it to your Muslim friends. If you're talking to Muslim friends, the similarity between Muslims and Christians is that we both believe there's only one God. Very important. Just like Jews, uh, Jews, Christians, Muslims, we believe that there is only one God. Uh, Hindus would believe that there are multiple gods. We don't believe that. There's only one God. But the difference between Muslims and Christians is that we don't believe in the same God. And by that I mean, if you read uh, uh, the Quran, if you talk to Muslim scholars, the character of God. Who God is and the ways of God, how God works in this world, are described very differently uh, by Muslim scriptures than they are described by our our uh, the truth of God's word. And so we believe that we believe that there is is one God. That's where there's a similarity, and it's good to say that with a Muslim friend. Hey, we, there are some things we we agree on. We agree that there is one God, but there's some things. Let's be honest, that we disagree on, and one of the main things we disagree on is the very character of God. And then you can begin to walk down that. We believe in a God of grace, obviously, uh, a God whose salvation came through the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And the power of that cross is extremely important in the God that we believe in. Obviously, Muslims and Christians believe very differently about Jesus. Muslims believe that he was a prophet and was not God. And so. When you think of who God is, we believe in God, uh, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I would say uh, that the greatest difference when you come to the character of God is uh, not believing that Jesus is God. And that is true of, that's true of Mormons. Mm -hmm. That's true of Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we would call cults and some world religions uh, would believe that there is one God, but they do not believe that Jesus is God. And uh, if you don't believe Jesus is God, you're not believing in the same God that we believe in as Christians. You you may know, a lot of you, that um, for years, uh, a group of us at Saddleback have uh, been invited uh, by the locals uh, when they're doing... Um, different celebrations, actually, Mm -hmm. to become, go and just join with them. And we've invited them to come, our Muslim friends, to come and join us for Christmas and Easter, which they have done. And so I think a dialogue, talking with uh, Muslim friends is extremely important. Uh, Saying that because we don't have the same God, we don't have anything to talk about. No, we have more to talk about. We have more to talk about because we want to help our friends to understand the God of grace that we have in Jesus Christ, that, that we have in the New Testament.
2: Thanks, Pastor Tom. Um, the, uh, I have another question here that says, what does self-existent mean and what should it mean for us? Like, What does that mean that God is self-existent?
3: Yeah, we didn't talk about that, I mean, it, much in, uh, in the two weeks that we studied God. Right. It's one of the characteristics of God. Uh, you know, omnipotence, omniscience, uh, all these huge characteristics of God. And to be self-existent God means God doesn't need anything outside of himself to exist. Right. We need to be created. This world needs to be created. Angels needed to be created. But God, he doesn't need anything outside of himself to, to exist. To me, not everybody describes it this way, but to me it means an additional thing. It also means that God doesn't need anything or anyone outside of himself to be complete or to be whole, or you might even say it in human terms, to be happy or to be fulfilled. Sometimes people talk as if uh, God created the world and created human beings and that made him more fulfilled, that gave him like a purpose. (laughs) He did not need to create anything to be fully satisfied and complete in who he is. He was already perfectly eternal. And the only reason he created us is out of love. The only reason he created us is out of the person that he is. But he didn't need to create us. We don't complete him in any way. He enjoys our worship. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. He is pleased when we serve. He takes, he takes joy in his creation, but he doesn't need his creation. And that's it. We don't always make that distinction. Even I don't sometimes in the way that I talk. But it's important sometimes to come back and realize, look, God doesn't need me. He doesn't need me at all. And that doesn't mean he's selfish or he's prideful. That's the other thing about being truly self-existent. He's not prideful in this. He just is who he yeah. is eternally.
2: Um, Alex posted a follow-up to your discussion of the Muslim God and and the different gods, and it says, but wouldn't you say that Muslims, Mormons, etc. believe in the one creator God? The only difference is the refinements and understanding of that creator?
3: Well, yeah, I guess that's true. It's the refinements and understanding of who our creator is. That's what I was saying about believing in one God. So monotheist, we're all monotheist, but... Christian the focus of that is Christ so we are Christ centric uh, we are monotheists we believe in one God but Christianity is centered on Christ centered on the cross centered on his grace and what he's done for us and without the cross without what happened at the cross there is no salvation there is no eternity for us and without Jesus being truly God there is no power in the cross that's why, That's why all this ties together in such a powerfully important way. So, yes, that is true. We believe in one one creator God. But the big difference is the cross and Christ and what we believe about grace and salvation. And that Jesus is that creator God. When you talk about the creator God, uh, it's very interesting as you do a study. We took a look at that in the the last couple of weeks. So you guys have just looked at this. I won't go into it. But Jesus is called creator. The Holy Spirit is called creator. And the Father's called creator. So all the persons of the Trinity are involved in what it means for God to be our creator of God.
2: Perfect. Perfect. Now, this next one is going to be kind of a preview of our lessons on Holy Spirit. But what is the nature of the Holy Spirit? Because we said, you know, it has the, the diagram that shows that he's God. But is he a person? Is it a force? What is the nature of the Holy Spirit? What, what is that?
3: Yeah, I'm going to tell you what you're going to learn in a couple of weeks, and then you guys are going to go. Well, I'm done. I don't have to do those weeks. <clears throat> he he is a person. When we say spirit, our minds go to a force. Our minds go to not a person, uh, but the Holy Spirit is a person. Well, let me tell you something. I, I maybe we talk about this. I don't. I don't think we do uh, in the two weeks on the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's interesting, in the Greek language, uh, the word pneuma, spirit, is a a word that's in, you can have masculine, feminine, and neuter. Those of you that, you know, do Latin or other languages, you know what I'm talking about. So the word spirit is a neuter word. So it doesn't, it's not masculine or feminine. So it should have a neuter article with it. But they always put a masculine definite article with it, saying it's a he, it is a person, the Holy Spirit. They break, the New Testament, the Greek, breaks uh, uh, language rules again and again and again and again when talking about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is a person. And so you and I, he is the hardest one for us to think about as a person. It's easy to think about a father. Even though God is everywhere and he's so great, the, the picture of a father is really easy for us to grab onto as a person. And It's easy to think about Jesus because he walked this earth. We have all these pictures of what he did. But the more I can picture the Holy Spirit as a person who's interested in my life, who, who grieves with me, who comforts me, who strengthens me, the more I can begin to do that, the more I can connect with a personal power in my life that maybe I haven't connected with before. This is, a, this is a really key issue in my life, and I think in a lot of our lives, is connecting with the personal power of the Holy Spirit. And in order to do that, I think it begins by realizing that He's a, he's a person that's where it starts perfect
2: this is an interesting one some of the more modern translations have tried to make god male and female like our mother father you know they've done some sw- weird things is god a man or a woman is the
3: question he's neither he's not a man or a woman but throughout the bible he is really he's related to as a father mm-hmm. uh, he is called he so he's pictured. In male terms, right. but um, remember when God created us. Remember, uh, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks too. But I'll go ahead and say it now. <laughs> you guys are getting all these previews. Uh, remember when God created Adam and Eve? It says, "It says He created mankind in His image, male and female. He created them." Mm-hmm. This is extremely important. It takes both men and and women to reflect the image of God, both men and women. A man by himself, a woman by herself cannot fully reflect the image of God because it says he made us in his image, male and female, he created them. So it takes both. So while throughout the Bible, we're very clearly given the picture or the image of a father or he when we're talking about God, Throughout the Bible also, we're given this picture of it takes both men and women to fully represent the image of God. And so God is not a man or a woman. He is God. He is, we talk to him as a father, but we also recognize that it takes all of us to fully reflect who God is, who God truly is.
2: Excellent. Here's another one. I have a Jewish friend who won't say the name of God. They're, they don't say God's right. name. Why is that? What is it about the name of God that they don't say it, but we do? What's happening with that?
3: Well, they very strongly believe, uh, and if they are Orthodox Jews, they believe that not, not, not all the names of God, but a certain name of God is not to be spoken because it is so holy. That's the belief. It is so holy. And it's the name, uh, in, in English, uh, it's Y-H-W-H. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there's no vowels. They, they, always, they just knew what the vowels were, and they put them in. So it, if, you look, if you saw this name in a, uh, in a Hebrew Bible, it would be the letters Y-H-W-H. We pronounce that Yahweh sometimes. Have you ever heard that name? That's the most holy name of God. And they believe that pronouncing that most holy name of God is taking God's name in vain. That you shouldn't even say that name. Uh, because it was so strong in this that in a, a lot of Hebrew scriptures or scrolls that they would do in Torah scrolls, uh, that name would be brought out in a bold way to make sure you didn't accidentally say that name, because they believe God's judgment would come upon us if we did that. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we still believe we just as much believe in the holiness of God's name. Uh, But we believe that because of what Jesus did, God has brought that Holy Spirit, he's called the Holy Spirit, we're back to the Holy Spirit, even into our lives. And so we're able to say the name of God because we're connected with God through Jesus and his spirit is alive in us, alive in our lives. And so uh, alive in our hearts. And so uh, if you have a Jewish friend who says, I don't want you to pronounce that name, I think it's a kindness not to. Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I don't. I think if they say let's not pronounce that name, you say I, I can do that. I can say Elohim. If you have to say it in, uh, if you have to say a Hebrew name, you can say <laughs> Elohim or something like that. Uh, you know. But to say Yahweh or Jehovah is also another way of saying Yahweh. That's a that's a more standard way of saying it. All uh, that's that's a recognition of the holiness of God, and it's not a bad place to build from. If you're if you're talking to a Jewish friend. To say, that, that is just meaningful to me, that you recognize God's holiness like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it reminds me of, of Isaiah and what happened in the temple and the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And I actually, I want to have that kind of attitude towards the holiness of God. I, mean, I, I want That's one of the things I seek as a follower of Christ. I think honoring that attitude might be a bridge to a greater conversation with a Jewish friend.
2: So somebody just posted. So, is does Yahweh correspond to the Father or to the Son or to the Holy Spirit?
3: <laughs>
2: well, as long as we're on it,
3: <laughs> it it's a name that's it's a Hebrew name throughout the Old Testament, and so it more corresponds to the Father.
2: <laughs> Got
3: it. Got yeah, it. Because most of the time, you see the names of God in the Old Testament. Uh, as Jesus said, call God your Father in the New Testament. He's reading back to the Old Testament. Sometimes mm-hmm. the spirit is talked about in the Old Testament as well. Uh, but obviously the son, we get to see him a few times in the, in the Old Testament. Right. Uh, he's pictured in advance of who he's gonna be spiritually. He doesn't become flesh. He doesn't become a human being until the New Testament. And now we know who Jesus is.
2: So speaking of Jesus, during the time in between the time Jesus died until he was risen, what happened with the Trinity?
3: This is one of the great questions of theology that somebody just asked. This is awesome. Because there's some people who think, okay, he died, so he just was not existent for three days. What? The Trinity wasn't existent for three days? The Trinity is God. You cannot—God is the one who holds the universe together. You can't have the Trinity not existent for three days. Everything would fall apart. So where was Jesus for those three days? He wasn't not existent. We don't know where he was. There are some guesses that people have that you will read. Uh, the strongest guess, and it is it is a guess based on scriptures, uh, there's no certain scriptures about this, uh, is that he descended into hell, and he proclaimed the gospel to those who came before him, and he told them the good news. Uh, but he didn't descend there to give them a chance to accept the good news. Uh, we are told that this happened, by the way, that Jesus descended the, into hell, that he told the good news. We're just not told that it happened during those three days. That, that's the assumption that some people have. Well, well, that's when it happened. Uh, which, well, okay, maybe that's when it happened. Uh, and he told them the good news of the gospel and that the good news of the gospel meant uh, the reason they weren't being saved was because uh, they had lived life for themselves, they had lived life selfishly, and uh, they were not saved by the grace of Jesus. Uh, we also know, by the way, uh, this is something different than I'm explaining now, but it's important to know that there are people from the Old Testament who were saved by the grace of Jesus. So how were they saved? How in the world, before, they lived before Jesus was born, and yet they're saved by the cross? Well, time doesn't mean anything to God. God is greater than time. He can see all time at once. So guess what? You and I lived 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross. I'm still saved by the blood of the cross. Do you think God couldn't cause somebody who was living 2,000 years before the cross to be saved by the blood? He what? He did. And they did that, that's why they made sacrifices. They were looking forward to what Jesus was going to do. And some of those people that made sacrifices believed in God and trusted there was something they didn't know, but they were trusting in God to do something with even those sacrifices in a way that God saw their pure hearts and he applied the blood of Jesus Christ to them two thousand years back or a thousand years back. Some of those who were making sacrifices, they did it selfishly. They did it to get God to do their bidding. They weren't saved just because they made a sacrifice. It was those who had pure hearts who are obedient to God in it, who are trusting God's word in it. They were trusting in advance a cross they hadn't even heard about. Talk about trust. I mean, I know Jesus. I know about the cross. I can, I can watch movies about it. and I can read stories about how, exactly how he was crucified. They didn't have that. And yet many, many people of Old Testament times are going to be saved. We're going to celebrate with them forever uh, with those Jewish people because they trusted and were obedient to God in the sacrifices.
2: That's great. Now I'm getting a couple of questions that are kind of related to Bible. Is that okay? Can we filter some of those in? That's all right. Okay. Wasn't sure if there were rules. (laughs) Um, One of them that actually I've gotten a couple of times and it has to do with, and we didn't really talk about this last time, was, you know, you have the Protestant Bible then you have the Catholic Bible with the apocryphal books, and then you have the pseudepigraphal books, and, which are not in either. And so what people are kind of asking, how do, you know, how do we weigh all of that? You know, why do our, we have some and the Catholics have more, and then, then there's a whole bunch of others that we don't reference at all. So, and I've gotten that question at least three times. So, <laughs> I thought I'd put so it out there. when
3: you study this, there's a couple things to think about. Uh... I think the the thing that helps me the most is to look at early church history, first 300 years of the church, and the Bible that we have is the Bible that was used the first 300 years of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a, a clear. You can clearly study history and figure that out, and then you see how one of the reasons we know that is about 300 years in or 400 years in uh, they had. Couple, they started to have these meetings where people started to argue to put other books in maybe this book should be in or to take some books out. maybe I don't really like that book. let's take that book out you know I, you know some of the books hard to understand you know I, I don't I don't want that book in Revelation I don't uh, I, I don't even want to teach that book to my church. it's hard, hard to teach. maybe we should take that book out. So there were these arguments but this was like 300 years in. Uh, immediately, the New Testament was accepted as as the books that we pretty much have now. What happened over time is that some uh, other books began to be included based on um, church history, and the need of church history. It was uh, in the Catholic Bible. There are the books that are included. Many of them help to support Catholic doctrine which is not in the New Testament. And so, well, let's add this book in and let's add this book in and that's, let's add this book in. And uh, you know, as we study through the Bible, when you start adding books in, you get in big trouble. If you look at many of those books, and if you look especially at some of the other books that you hear talked about today, like, uh, I don't know, you hear about the Gospel of Thomas and some of these other books, uh, these books are clearly false doctrine books. Uh, One of the reasons you know that is the Gospel of Thomas is written hundreds of years after Thomas died, you know, by a guy not named Thomas, which was okay in that day, by the way. If you wanted to put somebody else's name on your book, you could do it in that day. If it was going to sell more, if more people were going to read it, no problem. You know, It's sort of like today, somebody taking over a famous person's Facebook page, and they put their name on it, and they can get more hits that way. That's what people did in that day. But now today we pick it up, and people go, oh, this is like the lost gospel. This is the unknown gospel. They wouldn't have ever thought of it that way in that day. I mean, it's hundreds of years later. They would have clearly known. I mean, it would be like us today. Some guy uh, in Florida writes a book and he puts Abraham Lincoln's name on it, The Wisdom of Abraham Lincoln. And everybody knows that guy wrote it. Would anybody today go, wow, this is really cool. Things from Abraham Lincoln I never read. No, of course not. But let's suppose the world goes on for 2,000 more years. I hope it doesn't. I hope Jesus comes quickly. But let's suppose we get 2,000 more years. 2,000 years from now, somebody could go, well, maybe this really is some writings of Abraham Lincoln. Without studying the history of it, you just wouldn't know. And so um, these, these books that were added later do not have the same historical accuracy uh, or uh, credibility that were in the New Testament. And they weren't written by the early apostles. Uh, God used the apostles to write the New Testament, the ones that followed Jesus, that were close to Jesus. Well, that makes sense to me. Uh, Paul calls himself an apostle like born lately. He got to meet with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and uh, we don't know a lot about this, but he apparently was taught by Jesus out in the desert for a couple of years. How many meetings they had, how long the classroom was, we don't know, but they had at least a few meetings out there where he was taught by Jesus spiritually in his resurrection. And so that's the difference between those, and that's why some of those later books got added. Uh, so what I really like to do is in history, just go back to the first three hundred years of the church mm-hmm. and see what we used as old New, old and New Testament.
2: One more Bible question, um, and this is a it's really important. How do you know what to follow from the Old Testament versus the New Testament? You know, there's things in the Old Testament that we don't do anymore. Yes. How do we know?
3: Well, you, re- you start on the New Testament. You rely always on the New Testament. And, it, and you read back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, Galatians, um, James say the same thing. We now live by one royal law, or now the law is summed up in one thing. And when it comes to how we relate to God, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then both Galatians and James says when it comes to how we relate to each other, which is a lot of these questions about laws. It says it's summed up in the law to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you do that, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're obviously gonna keep the 10 Commandments. (laughs) You can't love your neighbor as yourself and murder your neighbor. Can't love your neighbor as yourself and steal from your neighbor, impossible. So he's given us the higher law, but that you can read back into the Old Testament. If I'm loving my neighbor as myself, I am gonna keep these laws in the Old Testament. And I, I did talk about this last time when we talked about the Bible. Uh, the laws of the Old Testament, some of them are civil laws, but they were what they were supposed to do as a nation. Uh, some of them are sacrificial laws or Levitical laws, what they were supposed to do in the temple. And some of them are moral laws, how they were to live. Well, we don't live in a theocracy. So the civil laws don't apply to us. We don't live making sacrifices in the temple anymore. So the Levitical laws obviously have uh, meaning because they looked forward to what Jesus was going to do on the cross, but they're not binding on us in any way, uh, what we do have is the moral law. The moral law is a, a law that still helps us to understand how God tells us to treat each other as our neighbor. So that's why it's good sometimes to look at the book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, some of the laws to understand that. The thing about this thing of the laws, you're looking at it, you might, you might go back and read the book of Galatians. Uh, And Galatians teaches that the law was a teacher, uh, a pedagogue, a teacher, uh, someone who teaches us. And the idea of a pedagogue was somebody who taught a child until they were able to take on adult responsibility. And that's the picture that the book of Galatians gives of the law. And the idea there is we used to be children in the Old Testament times, spiritually. But now we have become adults spiritually because of Jesus Christ. So we don't need that teacher anymore. We have, in essence, outgrown that teacher. Does that mean we don't appreciate that teacher? Does that mean that that teacher didn't have any value when that teacher was teaching? Absolutely not. There's still value in Old Testament times, particularly of Old Testament laws. But now we have outgrown in one sense, spiritually outgrown those laws. So that's a lot about the law
2: there we go (laughs) okay back to some questions about god um wouldn't the fact that god lives in us by the holy spirit wouldn't that limit him since we are limited like doesn't wouldn't that limit his power and limit what he can do because he's in us
3: well think about it this way god is in everything in this universe all at once i mean he lives in us personally through his spirit so billions of believers he's living in he also lives um, supernaturally in every atom of this universe Brandon we talked about this today as well so we're coming back to it Uh, you know when you look at uh, I'm not a scientist I'm not a physicist but I love science I love physics and when you look at the smallest particles you know, go, you go down to electrons and then you go down to even smaller particles, some of you could describe them better than I, but things like gluons, which is my favorite name for one of the smallest particles because it, it glued on. So gluons and little things like that. that when, when, when scientists study these very small particles in an atom, they realize there's a force that is holding those particles together that they can't describe. Well, I believe that force is God. He holds the entire universe together. So when it comes to who God is, He is holding the entire universe together, every atom. He's in every believer, but that's still not the truth about God because He exists also beyond our time. He exists in heaven. He exists in eternity. He exists in the greatness of who He is. So it does not limit God for him to live in us. That's just one of the places that he is. He's also every other place in creation at once. It is also every other place outside of creation at once. So it's it's uh, not either or, it's both and, and both and, and both and, and both and with God. Does that Love. make sense? That's a big, I don't know if I described that one very well, but I hope that made sense.
2: <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. Another question, um, you know, we talked about God is the father. Um, mormons sometimes say that there's like a heavenly mother that rules with god the father do we have any what do we think about that what do you know that's just
3: false doc- that's just that's just false doctrine based on uh the uh, supposed mormon uh what they call scriptures and mm-hmm. the false doctrine is that you can become a god and that you and your wife are going to rule on a planet someday and you're going to have your own planet and you're going to be a god and uh, it's a sad doctrine. It just is devastating to me. Most Mormons, or a lot of Mormons, don't even know that their church believes this, by the way. Or if they know it, they sort of put it aside because it's too hard to look at. Uh, the selfishness of thinking that the reason I serve God is so I can get my own planet, and I can somehow rule over that and rule over all these people—the the selfishness of that is just pretty shocking uh, to me. And I know uh, there's some uh, who who I've talked to who are Mormons who say it's not selfish, it's about serving, and even when you say that, it is a false doctrine. There's nothing in the Bible about that. The Bible teaches us that you and I together equally are going to be worshiping God throughout eternity. It doesn't Mm -hmm. teach that because I happen to join one denomination of church over the other, I'm going to rule over the other people of all the other denominations. That's a, that's a very sad doctrine to me and a false doctrine, false doctrine. Yeah.
2: What about this one? I thought this was interesting. Is the Trinity unique to Christianity? Does any other faith have the Trinity?
3: No, no other faith has the Trinity. Uh, No human being other faiths, human beings come up with that. No human being would come up with the Trinity uh, because it doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable to us. This is Jehovah's Witnesses' big argument about the Trinity. If you ever get in a, if you happen to, I'm not suggesting that you should. I don't even think necessarily that you should, honestly. But if you happen to get in a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness, one of the things they'll share with you is it's just not reasonable. And that means my human reason Is controlling who God is. So my human reason could come up with the Trinity, um, and by my human reason alone, I can't comprehend the Trinity. The Trinity, in some sense, has to be spiritually comprehended, and even then, you can't totally figure it out. I mean, it's God. It's the Trinity. It's greater than you are, and that bugs some people. They just can't stand that. They want to be able to explain everything. And you can't explain every circumstance in this world. And you can't explain everything about who God is because he is greater than, than we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Augustine said, and we, we did talk about this uh, in the two weeks on, on who God is, if you can understand it, it's not God. Right. Uh, that means that he would, God would be equal with me. And he is not. He is far above and beyond me. So yes, the Trinity is unique to Christianity.
2: I have another one. Um, if God is all sufficient and self-sufficient, why would He create in the first place?
3: Like if only he, one if, reason, and I just I just touched on it before. I didn't take enough time to talk about it. The only reason is love. He created out of His character, um, and we can maybe relate to this a tiny bit. Some of you, when you got married, life was wonderful. I mean, you were together in this awesome apartment, and you were in the city, and you were going out for this meal and that meal, and and maybe you both had some good jobs, and you got to afford this car, and then one day, you said to to each other, maybe we should have a baby. Why did you have a baby? It did not help you with your car. It didn't help you with your lifestyle, you know, and your selfishness. The only reason you had a baby is because you were created by God. And you were made to love and you wanted to bestow the love that's in your heart on someone else. And that decision is a reflection of God's character. And so the only reason God created is because he, he, he loves. Now, I know some of you are not uh, you are not parents yet. And some of you may be in that apartment and you maybe have that car you may be able to go out but you haven't been able to have a baby. And I don't want to paint the picture that it's all like roses for you and everything is great because the the ache that you have in your heart is also a reflection of the fact that God is a God of love. The reason you want to bestow that love, you're not satisfied with just things. You want to bestow that love on someone is because God made you and he made you to be like him in some ways. And one of the most powerful ways, God is love. And so one of the most powerful ways that we are like God is in the way that we love. And so... Um, I'd say I I don't have any other description for it. I mean, maybe when we get to heaven, God can give us some other reasons. But throughout the scripture, we're very clearly told that he created us out of love, uh, that we are an expression of his love. We are the reflection of his love. And uh, so God's character of love is just all over this decision to create.
2: I have one more that just came up in the chat, and I think that'll be our time. It says, when people say Mother Nature, is that like an angel God uses to tend to that area of our life? And do angels have a role for us at all?
3: So two two questions. One, uh, some of these phrases that we use... are just, uh, they come from history or they come from poetry or those kinds of things. And mother nature is one of those kinds of phrases. So it doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. Uh, there's no phrase of mother nature in the Bible. Uh, it does say in Psalms a couple of times that God cares for us, not just like a father, but like a mother nursing her children. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of times that when the, in the book of Psalms, God is pictured as not just a father to us, but also as a mother to us. But nowhere is there this... Um, almost a, a fable character of mother nature, except in, in poetry or in fables or those kinds of things. So mother nature is not uh, a, an angel, but mother nature uh, also is, uh, can by, with some people can be a distraction from the true God because they begin to think of nature as God uh, because God created everything and because nature is so powerful and we can see it I mean, we can see the wind, we can see the trees, we can see a waterfall, we can see the ocean. For some people, especially people who are only connected with what they can physically see, they haven't connected with their spiritual selves at all. It's very tempting to try to feel like God is in nature or God is nature. This is true from New Testament times, Pan was a nature God. When you think about uh, worshiping of God and it's very true in our times. Uh, When people may not say they're worshiping God, but they say uh, they worship nature, their focus is on nature. So there's a a real, there can be a danger in that. But then the other question was about angels. And yes, there are angels. Uh, The Bible, you know, they're all through the Old Testament, angels showing up at the right time, at the right place to do God's will. And they're all through the New Testament. You read the stories of uh, Jesus's birth, you read the stories of Jesus's death even, uh, the angels that could have come, the angels that were there ministering to him. And so uh, angels are uh, not talked about a lot. I, haven't, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on angels, but I do know that I've been ministered to by angels. I do know that all of you have been ministered to by angels in ways that you've seen or not seen. Uh, do we have to see them? Uh, no, no, because the book of Hebrews says we don't worship angels, right. we worship Jesus. And since we see Jesus, he's the one we give praise to. So if Jesus sent an angel to rescue you from a difficult circumstance or to comfort you when you were in a a desperate situation. Uh, If Jesus sent an angel to do that, you don't have to figure out who the angel was and then praise that specific angel. You can just say praise Jesus because guess who sent the angel? Guess who sent that? And guess who we're supposed to worship anyway? They got involved in the the book of Hebrews, they got involved in New Testament times in angel worship Mm -hmm. uh, because they really got connected to what angels were doing. And the the first part of the book of Hebrews is a great warning against worshiping the angels, and it focuses on instead on on worshiping God.
2: Do we have time for one more? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, great. And this kind of
3: keep them coming. These are great. These are awesome. (laughs)
2: And this one I think will tie to the nature of God and also some of what's going on in our world even. It says, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick in one of his sermons says, love sometimes comes out as hate. And he went on to say he hates the raping of women, et cetera. Does that mean we should hate horrible things and people like Hitler and other dictators who murder thousands of people? So this, this sense of, do we hate what God hates? How does that work?
3: The word uh, for God's hate that you see throughout the Bible is the word wrath. Mm-hmm. You know, you, were, you hear uh, of the wrath of God talked about in the book of Psalms or the wrath of God that's even pictured for us in, in, in the book of Revelation. And um, the wrath of God against sinners is talked about in the Bible. Um, and you and I, we, we struggle with that because we want to think about the love of God and that God is a God of love not a God of anger or wrath. But you need to understand that wrath is an expression of love. It's not like God sometimes is angry and some God, God sometimes is loving. And some days you get the good God, some days you get the bad God. Wrath is an expression of love. And the reason that God hates sin, the reason God has wrath against sin, because he knows what sin has done to his creation. He knows what sin has done his children, how deeply it has hurt his children. And that's what you and I need to connect with. We need to connect with it these days. We see anger coming out in our country about what has happened with racism in our country for not just decades, but hundreds of years. And there's feelings that people have about that. And unbelievers, all they can have sometimes is hate. All they can have is anger, but you and I as followers of Christ. We can connect to the love of God, and do not think that the love of God means you have to think, say, everything is okay. We have to be lovely. You know, we have to to be nice if we connect with the love of God. (laughs) If every one of you that's a parent, if somebody is hurting your child in the street, you're not going to be lovely and nice. You're going to yell and rush into that situation, and you're going to save your child. And God is working to save his children. The wrath of God is against sin because sin is hurting his creation and hurting his children. And God can see things that we can't see. He can see how that sin might cause that family to be torn apart. He can see how that sin might cause that person to be kept away from him, kept away from grace. Would he allow that to happen? No, he's not going to allow this person's sin to keep this person away from his grace. That is the thing you can be sure God will never allow. So God's wrath is an expression of God's love, an uncomfortable one for us, one that we're not used to, I'm not used to uh, as a follower of Christ. And one sometimes that we're not gonna get right. Even as we walk through this together, this time of racial reconciliation, we're not gonna get it right sometimes. And my invitation to all of us in this time is to keep the conversation going and just be humble enough to say, I'm not gonna get it right sometimes. But don't back off, enter in, enter in and and, and work together to get it right and get the conversation right and get the stories that we need to hear into our hearts. So that this sense of not human anger, not, not temporary anger, but this sense of God's settled wrath, which is this deep, deep sense of how hurtful sin is in God's creation, how hurtful it is to the heart of God. When I begin to connect with that, I'm connecting with something maybe I haven't connected with very much in my life, but that I need to connect with more. So that's, um, boy, a very brief description about something we could talk about for hours. Uh, But I know we're running out of time, Linda. So.
2: Yeah, and I think, thank you for hitting that one. I know that's important, especially with everything going on right now. So thank sure you for is. tackling that for us. It sure is. So I think I will pass it back over to
3: Pastor Brandon.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Pastor Tom, we want to say thank you. Uh, got a chance to speak to Brandon, you Brandon, I,
3: I just can't, I mean, you're a black man. You're facing this. I, I just can't talk about this without inviting you. I've just talked about anger and wrath and God. Yeah. I just... Is it okay if I invite you just to say a few words before we go? I would just feel um, like I'd missed a, an opportunity with a friend if I didn't invite you in right now.
1: Well,
0: thank you. Um, yeah, I think for us as believers, right, for us as the body of Christ, when we see uh, things like racism, uh, when we encounter prejudice, um, One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in Ephesians 2, and it says that Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility uh, between the two, that's Jew and Gentile, so Jewish people and then anybody who is not ethnically Jewish, um, which at that time, there was tons of ethnic racial tension and says that Jesus has torn down the dividing wall, separating the two, um, and from the two, creating one new man. So what I love about that is the one new man, that's us, the church, the body, of Christ. So in a very real sense, um, we are literally brothers and sisters in Christ, and we share um, our identity in Christ together. And that, honestly, is deeper um, than the blood ethnic connections we have with our uh, cultural and and people groups. Um, So, That to say this, when we do experience racism, when we see racism, um, I believe it's our job as the church to one, call that out, um, but also to model a better, a more beautiful way forward for humanity, for God's creation. So I can look at Pastor Tom, or I can look at, um, I'm seeing some of the faces here who are not white, different ethnicities. I can see your ethnicity and say, you know what? That is you are literally God's workmanship. You are the yeah. beauty and creativity and wisdom of God. And I'm going to celebrate that diversity. I'm going to celebrate these differences in me and you because we are both made in the image of God. So um, I think for us as the church, we have an incredible opportunity um, for our public witness to put on display. This is what life with God looks like. This is what life in God's family looks like. So Pastor Tom, yeah, I appreciate you in Brandon, inviting me into that. And Brandon, we have a, my,
3: my favorite answer of the night. I don't know who that other guy was that was talking, but that was my favorite answer of the night without a shadow of a doubt.
0: <laughs> with the, there you go. Yeah. Glad, glad you asked me. Um Pastor Tom, we want to say thank you. Uh, we got to speak earlier today and I was saying, you know, we're getting all of this uh, briefly like in a snapshot, but we know for you, this is years of study. This is years of working through confusing questions and a lot of hard work. So thank you uh, for your hard work and sharing that with us. Uh, we really appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Love you all. Absolutely.
0: And thank you for you guys for being on the call, for submitting questions, for asking questions in the chat. We know we are all benefiting from each other's curiosity and Mm -hmm. questions that we have maybe always wanted to ask. So thank you guys for um, being active and taking and engaging the foundations class. I wanted to let you guys know about two opportunities. One, if you're working through the Bible, Pastor Tom has a great resource called drive time devotions, um, on every chapter. So, whatever chapter you're going through, if you feel stuck or you have questions, uh, go ahead and check out Drive Time Devotions, and he walks through um, the Bible for us and with us. So, that is a great resource for That's us. Good. We
3: start. We start Proverbs actually on Monday. So, uh, like Proverbs, a five-week boom. study through Proverbs, if you want to join, so that us might be that. a
0: great place to start for you. Um, and then we also have Class 201 coming up this, uh, this Sunday at 2 o'clock. And in Class 201, we're going through different spiritual habits like reading the Bible, prayer, fellowship, uh, generosity. What do we do? How do we use our money? So that is a great, uh, also a great resource for you. And if you have not uh, gone through the class system in Class 201, we would love to see you there as well so we'll be on again june 25th that's two weeks from now same exact time seven o'clock on june 25th so take that this two weeks and go through jesus uh, on the think thinkific course um, and that's what we'll be discussing next so Any questions, if you're going through the Thinkific course and you're thinking, ah, that's just really confusing, that is the right time to go ahead and pop in a question on Thinkific. If you also have questions, you can always email us at maturity at saddleback.com. That's another avenue to us, and we'll get those questions queued up and ready to go.
1: There is a lot of great stuff out of that q a pastor tom just just such a good job of taking these kind of big topics that seem something that uh can be just so confusing or intimidating to think about and just does such a great job of making them a little bit more understandable for us and just showing how from a personal side, um, it's important to learn this stuff too. So I'm super grateful for Tom for doing these Q&As. And um, hopefully you had a question that you've always been wondering and you heard it asked and you got to hear Tom's response on that too. Um, Again, we want to make sure that you know uh, that you can check out foundations at saddleback.com slash foundations. Um, yep. Our course is still uh, ongoing and you can find, uh, info on how to buy the book, how to do the class, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, so next week we're going to be doing our third foundations Q and a, um, that we did on the topic of Jesus. And so we will be airing that Q and a on this podcast next week. So, be sure to come back friends we love you we're praying for you Let us hey if you have any questions that you've always wondered email in maturity at saddleback.com and uh we may be able to slide them into a future foundations q a too or we could just like write you back or talk about it ourselves on the show we'll decide <laughs> um but anyway uh we'll see you guys next tuesday